What's up and welcome back to Nostalgia Pod, giving you your weekly look at what's going on in pop culture. My name is Pat Sheehan, joined by my co-host, Dave Martin Swagger. Dave, how you doing, man? I'm good, man. We uh we crushing these content minds this week. A lot of a lot of good stuff to to discuss and some stuff not quite as good, but I still like talking about it. Uh busy week. Busy week for sure. Uh so we got two albums. A little Justin Bieber, a little Tame Impala. We're going to be talking about the, the new show on Hulu, High Fidelity, starring Zoe Kravitz. Yeah. Uh, who we stand on this pod. A couple movies, and then 2021 20, Oscar predictions. But Dave, before we get started, I wanted to ask you, uh, I saw on Instagram that you made a new friend this week. <laughs> yeah, I went to the YBN Corday show in Pawtucket, Rhode Island, because I was busy when he was actually in Boston. Um, the Paw Sox. The Paw Sox, yeah. Go see Bobby Dahlbeck, you know. <laughs> um, yeah, man. And he was. it was a re- really cool because it was a tiny-ass venue. Like, there was no barrier in front of the stage at all. You could literally just touch the stage. Um, and as you can spend with a small venue show, it was very, very live. And that was awesome. He's someone we've championed for some time, and I expect him to continue to do bigger and bigger venues. So it felt like an opportunity that cannot be uh, missed. And he did a really good job as I expected, which was a lot of fun. That's great. Um, it's also cool that you got to meet him. Did, was, did you have like a meet and greet? Or was that a special? Yeah, yeah, he had a meet and greet. It was actually funny because due to some scheduling things, we actually had to wait for that until after the concert. Hmm. So we were doing that at like midnight and you could tell he was a little tired. But now he was he was very cool. I was I asked him about the uh, all those Dr. Dre songs he has mm-hmm. in the vault still, and he said we would definitely hear them one day, which uh, is code for they're in Dre's computer. So I have no idea. <laughs> right. Uh, well, good good questions. Uh, also encouraging to hear. I'm glad we'll hear those. I'm also glad that we got to hear. Uh, I guess somewhat glad to hear back from Justin Bieber. Yeah. Changes and uh, last time we heard from Bieber. Five years ago, 2015. We're talking to albums that are follow-ups to albums that came out in 2015 today, which is very interesting how that worked out. But Purpose, 2015, banger after banger from that one, right? The, the singles are, are monstrous and just yeah. dominated radio. Everybody heard them. Sorry, love yourself. What do you mean? Even the song like Where Are You Now had... Pretty big commercial success. Where Are You Now was on the Jack U album. wasn't on purpose, but it was also that year. It's on um, that, that deluxe set. Oh, is it? Oh, it is. You're right. It is here. Yeah, that was... Oh, shit. I forgot it was on this. <laughs> wow, that's funny. Yeah, but like, yeah, that counts then, sure. Um, and Company as well was another big radio hit as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, bangers. And so, you know, no, no beebs for a while. You know, he's in the... He's in the tabloids got married to uh, Haley Baldwin that's right Haley Biebs now and boy this album could not have been more disappointing for me Dave Uh, listened to it on the car ride home and uh, I could not wait for that last song which was a remix of Yummy which is a song that I do not like very much Uh, probably one of the best songs on the album though and I just was kind of left puzzled at how Bieber got here you know he goes from being I mean he's done some features he's still one of the biggest pop stars in the world but 
this album just felt like a total miss and i'm curious to hear your thoughts on it but i get the, i have a sense that you were kind of feeling the same way about it yeah this is a major letdown like the, there there's no question i mean you mentioned it with purpose even if purpose might be a little uneven purpose has these amazing highs which were all smartly used as the singles so i'm like sorry one of the best pure pop songs of the decade really can't deny that um love yourself music video too yeah, of course. Love Yourself, famously written by Ed Sheeran, a really uh, meaningful song to a lot of people, a song that had a huge, uh, I think, uh, impact when he performed it for that Manchester Benefit concert following the bombing at the Ariana Grande concert over in England. Mm-hmm. Um, this, you know, and I, I was a little skeptical coming in because, as you mentioned, the lead single to this is Yummy, a song that is flatly, uh, plainly bad, <laughs> a, a ridiculously poor hook. And then he was, they were so desperate to get it to go number one, you know, and all these malicious tactics to get your fans to stream the shit out of the song. And it doesn't because Roddy Rich's The Box was still crushing it. Um, and there's a few other so, uh, singles coming up, right? You have the one with Kehlani, the one with Quavo. And it's like, man, these are not hitting the same. We'll see what happens. And yeah, this is just, it's just a lot blander than I expected. And, you know, looking at the liner notes, Pooh Bear is all over this thing, basically on, I think, maybe 85% of it. And he had worked with Justin in the past, you know, for uh, Where Are You Now? And What Do You Mean? And the Despacito remix. So it was like, he had worked with someone he worked with before and had major success with before, yet he just missed. And it ultimately is, I I understand that Justin in these four and a half years has gone through a lot of up and down. It's really great to see him back in that sense that he seems to be in a really good spot, you know, just personally, right? He seems really happy with Haley and he's found God, I guess. And just feels, he seems, seems to be happier and have a good attitude about things. That's great given, you know, how he, famous he got when he was like 14 or whatever. So it's good to see him, him back in that sense. But the somberness of his reflection just comes across in the music. It's just not a fun time. And like, I think some of the production is pretty good throughout this but justin's vocals aren't anything special usually and it's pretty repetitive from a songwriting perspective so yeah i found this incredibly incredibly uh disappointing and i think the thing that maybe i find most disappointing about this is like you said bieber albums are not necessarily known for being like solid cohesive albums but you get a couple songs here and there that you just like okay this song fucking rules and this is why justin bieber became maybe the biggest star in the world a couple of years ago. Um, But track after track, it was like uninspired feature, uninspired uh, lyrics, things that just did not hit in any way. You mentioned the Kalani one. I actually think that's one of the songs I like the most, mostly because Kalani is such a breath of fresh air on this thing. Like when she comes (laughs) in, I'm like, whew, like I actually like woke up for a bit, but Travis totally uninspired. Lil Dicky had a very interesting lyric that I just was like, I don't know if I can, can get with this. That, that's that's uh, that's his brand now. Every yeah. one of his songs, you're always raising an eyebrow. It's like, should you be saying that? No, that's, that's what he does. I thought Quavo actually gave a, a decent showing on his feature, but like still just uninspired. And Post Malone actually stood out to me. Her, him and Kalani were probably my two favorite <laughs> features on this, which I, I didn't really expect to be coming away and be like, man, Post Malone. 
if that's bad. what you're saying, it's a problem. <laughs> and that and that's and that that's that's the point, right? Is that uh, none of these songs made me want to go back and listen. Um, I don't know. Yummy's the one that stands out most because I've heard it the most, but it really just not a good song. <laughs> it's it's hard because I I don't I don't want to say Bieber maybe just doesn't have the inspiration right now because I I think he's been able to write love songs in the past, especially when he was younger. You know, kind of coming up and making his his roots with with Ursher and, and things like that. But <laughs> this really feels like he tried to make an album about what it means to be like, I don't know, moving into adulthood, finally growing up. And it just mm-hmm. like felt totally flat. Right. Uh, br- bring back the, the Selena Gomez beat. Like, beat me to it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, yeah. Selena was much more successful in that regard last month in terms of reflecting on a tumultuous few years after some time away. Um, yeah, you know what's most frustrating about the song with Lil Dicky running over? It's that apparently that used to be a Ski Master Slump God feature. And I can just uh, picture now with that beat, him doing like his Nuketown flow, that would have sounded fucking sick. Mm-hmm. And talk about something inspired, you know? And he went for Lil Dicky instead, which is a much safer safer choice, but whatever. Um, you know, I guess if there's songs that I like the most, and I guess or, or dislike the least, I don't know. Uh, available, Take It Out On Me. I thought, you know, decent mix of production and JB. And then I think confirmation towards the end. I actually like that beat a lot. But mm-hmm. yeah, overall, um, this was one of my most anticipated albums for a few years now. Just, you know, I'd put it on my doc, upcoming albums, Justin Bieber, whatever. You know, you just knew nebulously this was going to come. And it was at the top of the list just because, you know, you didn't know what to expect from it. And I guess kind of like the way uh, Rihanna's ninth album is thought about right now. And yeah, this just... I think completely fails to meet any any expectations anyone had. So I'll be curious to see what manages to become a radio hit because Yummy and go look on Spotify. It's been streamed a few hundred million times already for some fucking reason. So I'm sure something else would be successful, but I'm not really sure what it will be. He's a beast, man. Uh, he does the numbers even when the songs aren't there. But <sighs> let's move on to an album I enjoyed a lot more. I'm interested to hear if you did as well. Team Impala's fourth album, The Slow Rush. Kevin Parker, uh, the the one man show behind Team Impala. Obviously, not for the live shows, but composes, writes the songs, puts everything together. Total inspiration mm-hmm. for Team. He's been doing a lot more producing. Recently, said he wanted to be the uh, a Max Martin type producer moving forward. Mm-hmm. So really impactful guy. I mean, that's ambitious. Um, yep. But Team uh, probably one of the most popular rock bands however much you can call them rock uh of the last decade you know and we've talked at at, i think quite a bit about the the issue of where's rock going um are there rock stars anymore i would say kevin parker kind of falls into that you know i think he's got the look he's got a bit of a mystique to him Mm um and you know team when they when they came out with their first couple albums inner speak and lonerism there was a lot of uh, a lot of like groundswell for them, but they still kind of remained under the radar until Currents. And that's when they really hit the mainstream. Currents really pushed them onto the festival circuit back in 2015. And then there's pretty bit of a hiatus. They headlined Coachella last year, played a couple of the new songs, like uh, I believe Borderline. And I think there was one other one that they played at that point. But the album was supposed to be out, got pushed back because Kevin didn't think it was ready. 
now we have it, Dave. How are you feeling about the slow rush? You enjoying it? Do you give you a fast rush? <laughs> slow? I don't know what to call it. Yeah, I did. I, I did like the slow rush quite a bit. Um, it's hard not to be impressed with just the, I think, Kevin's kind of overwhelming skill with like arranging mm. instrumentation and just overall production. Like there's such like detailed stuff, like you know, whether it's keyboards or kick drums, whatever it might be. It's really a uh, really detailed, and that's I think what ultimately shines. Because I've never been like a huge fan of the vocal mix on most Tame Impala songs, just because it's it's intentionally understated. So it's letting the rest of the song shine, and I think that's by design once again here. Um, so yeah, I, I did like it. I think you know because it's so uh, methodical the whole time, you kind of just. F- I think fall into that vibe and you really can just, if you don't, if you're not checking your phone, you'll just kind of listen to this thing and it'll, it'll really flow. That's kind of what happened for me. And it definitely feels like it would fit the, uh, light show live show, uh, presentation that tame has been rocking recently at their arena shows of which you saw last year. Yeah. So yeah, I think this is a, you know, someone like me, who's more of like a, a late comer, to the sound and, and to the whole enterprise of Tame Impala. Uh, I liked it just like I liked Currents more than the first two albums. But I feel like if you're someone who liked their earlier stuff, you're probably not like super thrilled with this because it's just different. And it's just like they Tame Impala and Kevin, they just, they've just changed. And now it's more of like a psychedelic vibe sesh, right? Mm-hmm. Right. And it used to, it used to be it used, they used to rock out pretty hard in the in the beginning. Like I listened to all the albums for the first time last year mm-hmm. after hearing all like the hits in the past, and you could definitely feel that change if you listen front to back. Mm-hmm. And I think that this is kind of makes sense of the direction they had been going in. And after the success of Currents, it, it's pretty logical. Yeah, and Currents wasn't an album that I would look back and say is one of my favorite Tame albums. It's probably probably Lonerism for me. I had to go back and look. I'm gonna kind of look as we're talking, but um, right. I, I enjoyed that more like rocky sound to it, you know. And I, I, I liked when you had a song like "Half Full Glass of Wine," um, where it really is just a pure rock song. It's like you know, screaming guitars. It's um, it's not as like trance-like. It's not as EDM influenced, and that's really what you get on this album, right? You have basically house beats for most of the songs. And then you're uh, bringing in some, some guitar driven, some guitar driven songs, some piano driven songs on this, which was kind of a a change up for them for most of of their work. Um, But the thing that really stood out for this, and it it almost seems uh, like Kevin, especially as he was going over some of the singles, like borderline really wanted to move the synths and the, the, drums to the forefront of these songs because the drums go fucking hard throughout mm-hmm. this entire album and, and i love it i think it's a great choice um but almost every track i found myself being like wow that that kick drum like you mentioned or that snare is really just coming through like so crisp and clear um and i think that actually works to elevate the like almost psychedelic nature that kevin goes for in a lot of these songs because you're lulled in or like focus on the drums but then you're kind of lulled in by the rest of it which i think works well but he definitely I think brought in more genres for this. It sounded like a lot more like, like the piano kind of reminded me of Hall and Oatsy at times, you know, like, um, sure. which I, I didn't mind. There's a lot of congas on this, which I thought was interesting. It feels like he like got a new conga set and just wanted to, to riff on those a couple of songs. Um, 
what, what tracks did you like? What what stood out to you most? Maybe. Yeah, I like Borderline more after hearing it in the context of the album. Didn't really jump out to me when I first heard it. Definitely um, like uh, redid it too. Actually. Yeah, is that what it is? Maybe I that's, think so. I didn't even realize that. Uh, Lost in Yesterday, which mm-hmm. was maybe the third single, fourth single. Thought that one was really good. And then uh, one more year, and is it is it is it true? At the end, one is more it, hour, or is it true? Is near the end too. Yeah, is it one more year? The first song, and then is it true towards the end? Mm-hmm. I really liked. Yeah, um, one more year is a great opener. Like, it yeah. sucks you right in. Um, mm. And I, I think the way that it just really is like that and Glimmer are probably the two most like pure housey songs on this. Uh, I think that's a great opener. I also like how he ends with one more hour, which is like a, a classic tame epic um, where it kind of like goes all over the place and brings together all these sounds. Um, but yeah, those the three that you pointed out really stand out. How did you feel about like posthumous forgiveness? Uh What's, which one is that? It's a little bit more like, um, uh, I don't know, like toned back. It's probably one of the tracks I like the least. Yeah. Um, it probably is one in and out my ears then. Yeah. <laughs> it, doesn't, it, it doesn't ring a bell. <laughs> it, it's, it's, it's like right between borderline and breathe yeah. deeper. And it just felt like I just wish they'd taken it out <laughs> almost. Sure, sure, sure. Um, Cause breathe deeper is a song I thought was great. And the ending to that is electric. Um, I don't know there's just so many so many moments on this I really enjoy. Um one more hour again, probably one of my favorites. Lost in Yesterday is great. But I think the song I found myself coming back to the most is um It Might Be the Time. Uh I, I that was one of the, the singles, but um it's so like groovy and then you bring in like the sirens with it, really it's just like really stands out to me. Um so yeah. This album, there's really only good things to say about it in my book. Um, where does this fall in your Team Impala rankings? Number two? Yeah, I guess number two. I haven't, I haven't run back any of the albums a ton, but I like this and Currents more than the first two upon yeah. initial exposure. So yeah, I'd stick with that. Um, it's kind of interesting just approaching this now after this four and a half year layoff following Currents because in that time, Kevin Parker, as you said, has uh, expressed desire to, I think, become more of a mainstream figure just in mm-hmm. pop music writ large. And that's kind of just joined the whole wave of anyone who's been successful in that space has just branched out and started also working in pop and hip-hop and everything else. Think like Rostam and Ezra oh. and James Blake and Josh Tillman. They're all working with, like, you know, like they'll pop up on Lemonade or... Uh, Lady Gaga's last album, or have a, like Kevin Parker worked on on Anti, you know, like it's just interesting to see how these the all these guys that really had some really humble, truly indie uh, beginnings uh, after achieving greater success are now just kind of just part of the firmament, but like mm-hmm. still can release this shit. Like in in the case of uh, the Slow Rush, that's still very much a uh, true to what what Tame Impala is all about. So it's kind of cool to see see uh, Kevin juggle juggle his two uh two two interests i guess so i'm curious to see uh what he does next just because now that we know he's i'm sure they labored over he labored over this album for some time so now that now that it's out i'm sure he's gonna tour it more and then yeah who's he gonna work with next who knows yeah i'm i'm excited to see where he's gonna go um you know the thing is his production uh and his djing just hasn't taken off i think in the way he's kind of hoped so 
um, hoping he gets a good project to work with. I also kind of hope he would consider doing more production for um, like rock bands and things like that. Cause I feel like he could have a real influence on how rock forms moving forward. Cause tame, I mean, undeniably one of the biggest rock bands in the world right now, I mean, mm-hmm. they're headlining festivals when not many other bands of their, their, uh, not many of their peers made it to that level yet. So, um, it'll be interesting to see if he pops up in a show like high fidelity, kind of like our guy, Jack Antonoff, um, did in, the uh the zoe kravitz led remake of a 2000 movie starring john cusack have you seen this have you seen the movie i watched it on saturday i had never ah. seen this what'd you think uh it was good i liked it i um i was unfamiliar with the original the film as well as the original novel from nick hornby of which it's based um mm-hmm. it's kind of funny watching the movie for the first time uh just now recently i was like uh I could totally see this in New York. And sure enough, this remake moves everything to New York City, just like how the movie moved it from London to Chicago. So it's kind of cool to see the ever-growing change of high-fidelity adaptations. But yeah, I mean, it's a gender flip. It's a modern telling. It's, it, it was cool to see them both in such succession because obviously all the, the, there's some more obvious cues and homages to the movie that are in the show that obviously I, I caught because I had just seen the movie. Um, and then seeing where, where they changed and diverted or gave time to, I think, uh, I think it was really great. Honestly, I, I really enjoyed my time uh, with this, and I think it was, it was a really smart uh, way to adapt something. Yeah, as I as I was watching it, I think I found myself. Um, I, I definitely enjoyed most of it, but I was also left a little bit like uh, I don't know. I didn't know if all of it hit and. I think there were parts where it felt a bit, I don't know, like I had, like I had seen elements of the story before, um, you know, like, like the, the mess up who can't get out of her own way or out of their own way and mm-hmm. kind of keeps jumping from relationship to relationship. We can't figure out why I thought the, uh, the concept of kind of like exploring, like, why, why does this always happen to me? And going back and talking to the exes was interesting, yep. but that wasn't necessarily, uh, I think executed, all like perfectly in all senses but still for a show that i was just kind of like yeah this is a good way to spend a weekend and kind of see what's going on i found myself hooked and jumping from episode to episode um and zoe kravitz man she's just she's just a delight to watch like she's just really a star and i think the way she carries herself in this is so like uh, believable but also still like watchable if that makes sense like she mm-hmm. seems real but it's still fascinating um, yeah it's great to see zoe finally given the chance to be a star because if this does not i mean this is brings brings me back to big little lives which through two seasons had no idea what to do with her character bonnie and just totally sidelined her right through for through 16 hours or whatever it was this it's like yeah uh she's just kind of a, a magnetic uh presence on screen from the get-go whether that's interacting with the cast or even doing the confessional talk to the camera stuff a la the uh the 2000 movie so it, it's a uh, just more a uh, confirmation of everyone who i think kind of been clamoring for her to get more work for some time and we'll be getting her next year as catwoman in the batman and i think that's perfect casting yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, and after seeing the uh, the Pattinson Batman suit, how are you feeling? You like how it looks? 
Yeah, I'm not one who gives really much of a shit about uh, superhero movie costumes as long as the movies are good. But yeah, yeah. looks cool. Uh, shout out my guy, Rob. The, the bat is made out of guns, apparently. Very yeah. interesting. Whatever. Um, <laughs> how did you feel about, about the supporting cast in this, right? So it's a lot of people that I don't think anyone has really heard of, except for Jack Antonoff making one brief appearance and Debbie Harry also making a brief appearance. But Kingsley Benadier, who I think we've seen, but I can't really place where I've seen him, plays Russell or Mac. Um, you got Jake Lacey as Clyde. Divine Joy Randolph as Sharice. Yeah. I thought she was great. Yeah. I mean, we, we were big fans after Dolomite is my name. Yep. So when you're watching it, I was like, oh, wait, I know who this person is. This is great. Yeah, she was awesome. Yeah, I thought she was fantastic kind of playing this, uh, I guess, an artist who uh, hadn't made music yet and was getting kind of clowned on by her friends. Um, I mean, but every time she really got a chance to shine, like, I thought she was funny. I thought she brought a lot of heart to the show and was kind of like the 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 protector and like the loudmouth, but it never really got annoying or graded on me, which is right. funny because it, it did grade on all the people in the show. Um, and I also like that they gave Jake Lacey an episode where they explored his, uh, you know, his past relationships as a gay man. And yeah, um, specifically, final episode. Uh, obviously with one person, but uh, I actually had to restart my my uh hulu at that point or i i had to pause it because i thought i had gone back to the last episode because the way the episode starts yeah, right yeah where it starts in the middle right. i was like oh what the fuck but i thought that was cool um i guess one critique i'd have i feel like they held a lot back right because there's there's not like a ton of resolution at the end of this episode things are left pretty wide open yep that's true yeah um and i also feel like there's a lot of other themes they can explore um in terms of like the world around them. I mean, they're in Brooklyn, very progressive. Uh, there's, there's just a lot of like things left unsaid. And I don't know. I, I feel like they kind of held something back, like assuming they're getting a second season. I don't know if that's been confirmed yet, but uh, I, I kind of wish they had given us maybe like 12 episodes and explored huh. a little bit more. Interesting. Yeah. Give me more. Um, yeah. And it's not confirmed for a second season yet. You're right. It's definitely left open. Um, yeah, I mean, so this is like five hours in length. The movie's like two hours. So I think, you know, just kind of modernizing and flipping the way the movie goes, there's a lot of like, I think, cool choices they make to just kind of expand and make the storytelling much richer. Like Javine J. Randolph, she's basically playing the Jack Black character, but she gets more time to become a more developed character. Um, the the scene where uh, Rob goes to her friend Katz, uh, the Instagram influencer. And that that's just a kind of a play on the Catherine Zeta-Jones small, small role in the original, but obviously modernizing it for today's world. Um, the, I think actually one of my favorite episodes is when uh, Rob gets called up by Parker Posey to buy a cheating husband's record. Mm -hmm. That's apparently based off a deleted scene from the movie. Um ah. And that was another one I thought that was pretty cool to see. Oh, and um, uh, fuck. Uh, what's her name? Um, Rob? No. Um, Debbie Harry? The, the, yeah, the, the, the lead of Blondie makes yeah, the cameo. Yep. Yeah. Um, in the movie, that was Bruce Springsteen doing uh, kind of the cool. same thing. So oh, the, all those, cool. those those kind of callbacks, I think, were, were really choice. And just 
kind of again bringing like dating into the modern stuff right where there's more talk about uh read receipts and creeping on instagram and just kind of obvious oh having phones there's no smartphones in the original um Mm -hmm. the presence of spotify in terms of creating playlists you know um the uh takeover of brunch culture Mm -hmm. in new york city you know um i just kind of liked all all these choices so yeah i think you're right that it's um even if uh, the the soundtrack is really choice, it is, and that really helps hit 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 with a lot of the moments. But you're right; there's not like any overwhelming resolution in terms of Rob, Rob's I guess uh, role as a character. It was yeah. cool to see her have like a new love interest in this. That there's not really a, a, a version of that in really? the original. Um, actually, it was kind of funny too to see Rob hook up with the like I don't know like the Harry Styles. Liam, dude, yeah, um, that's funny because in the original, John Cusack hooks up with this singer who's kind of famous, and the singer is played by Lisa Bonet, aka Zoe Kravitz's mom. Right. So that was kind of kind of kind of funny and I guess strange, but yeah, yeah. Overall, I, I was a big fan of it. So I, I think Bet Bet's pretty safe. We'll get a second season. Interestingly, this was not produced by Hulu. It was produced by ABC. And originally it was going to be for Disney Plus of all places, and that was scrapped. And Hulu jumped in, but Hulu is still under Disney now, so it's kind of all the same. So I think they'll they'll give they'll give it a renewal because it's like a Hulu. It's actually a Hulu original show. It's not like a Hulu show by way of FX as we're going to be getting soon. So I think I'm hopeful for a second season, and it'd be cool to see again just these characters continue to get more uh, drawn out. So we'll, we'll see. Absolutely. Uh, looking forward to hopefully getting a second season and exploring more. I loved how they, they did the episode with the, uh, the playlist. I'd like to see more of that. Um, and like you said, they, they had a, a great soundtrack. So if you want to check that out, um, go on Spotify. It's all there. Uh, really fun to listen to that i was surprised we didn't get any lcd sound system actually because it's such like a brooklyn thing they actually go to brooklyn steel i was like they're definitely gonna end the season with new york i love you like there's no way they weren't and then they didn't i was a little disappointed but maybe season right. two um dave speaking of things i was disappointed by i i, I don't even know if i can say that but the, to all the boys i love before part two um i guess the reason I, yeah p.s I still love you. Um, okay. Um, to all the boys I loved before part two, I I guess I say disappointed, but man, what did I expect? I guess that's where I come back to. Can you be can you be disappointed when your expectations are low? But to all the boys I loved before part one, we talk about it, right? We we. I don't know if we did actually talk about it. 2018. Really? I don't did think we, so. Did we not? Uh, came out 2018. Bit of a phenomena. Yeah. Um, you know, mostly it was uh, Noah Centineo became like one of the biggest team heartthrobs, yep. like pretty much overnight when this was dropped. Uh, totally out of nowhere, people kind of latched on to it as this like rom-com-ish teenage movie that it's nothing, but it's also kind of fun. It, it, it just like came out of nowhere. And the, the surprise factor, I think, really gave it a lot of cred. Oh, man this movie was tough dave i i don't mean to spoil the rest of our review but i read your your letterbox review do you want to read it to the the folks real quick (laughs) 
Want to pull that up? Uh, I wrote barf, period, and and, how, and submit. <laughs> so how are you feeling about it? Uh, this shit stinks. <laughs> like, let's be real. But what? Um, it's, and speaking to expectations and thoughts going in, I think it's important to think about the context of which the first one came out, came out in 2018. You know, Netflix got a lot of credit for kind of pioneering interest in the romantic comedy genre, a genre that has experienced extreme diminishing returns at the traditional box office for the last 10 years or so. Uh, think about something like Set It Up on Netflix, a movie I think is phenomenal. I've, I put that on a lot. Um, I think that's really good. And then To All the Buzz I Love Before, which is romantic comedy, but more in the teen angle. And then something like The Kissing Booth, which is not good at all, but really just for teens and kids, right? So they kind of were serving, I guess, all three uh, you know, parts of parts of the pie there. And they've released some other stuff since. And I think all those, you know, all those like uh, Always Be My Maybe last year, another uh, adult rom-com that got a lot of interest. People watch it, rewatch it. Um, mm-hmm. And they, they come to expect Netflix to give them that kind of content among the other things we expect from Netflix. So having this one come back, right? With, you know, a lot of Condor and Noah Sataneo becoming huge stars. Um, there's inherently just a lot of hype. And I think, you know, I, I'm, I was willing to, you know, give some of like, you know, the, the teen, the teen angst, the teen love triangle-ness of it all a pass. Cause that's, you know, what you expect going in. But I mean, the, the story is it, it, not, doesn't go that far in general. And it's, it's just incredibly juvenile. Mm-hmm. And you're just kind of, watching a lot of nonsense the whole time and if you were invested in these relationships um peter kavinsky is just more of a douche this time they kind of played into the noah centineo of it all i guess so i don't know how people are feeling about that right now um and yeah what team john or team peter how about a team i don't give a shit anymore (laughs) like yeah you know it's it's funny because i i didn't find him to be like a super douche he just was like dumb you know yeah. and like just a jock it, good it, looking like jock said, it it kind of played into the noah centineo of it all but like not a great look for noah centineo oh um, i think he's happy to move on they've already filmed the third one that's already done so we'll probably get that next year but yeah i think uh, noah's happy looking forward to reestablishing his careers so it's a little more man. sustainable than being teen heartthrob yeah, just being He-Man for the rest of his life. He's <laughs> pumped. He's thrilled. No, I'm sure. I'm sure he's excited. He's gonna. I'm sure he'll have a great career. He's uh, very well liked, I would say. And I don't think this movie's gonna make anyone dislike him per se. Um, but I actually found myself disliking Laura Jean pretty much the whole time. I, she felt like a really tough hang. Um, and this is like a bit of a nitpick, but uh, her voiceovers in this were like putting me to sleep dude like it felt like i was listening to serial kind of uh, the the podcast because uh sarah koenig on that uh has one of the most soothing voices i've ever heard but the the content is really really awesome so like it's just like really like an orgasm when she's talking about something or exposing like the inconsistencies in this court case uh listening to lara jean talk about i was dreaming about john ambrose but i was like having a tough time uh paying attention staying awake having any interest in uh moving forward and watching this this and you know the thing is 
I could, uh, like you said, you can give all these things a pass. Um, but I just did not really find much about this movie fun. Like it, when, when I'm watching these teen movies, like the things I always go back to are like the fun moments or like the moments that really drew me in. Like I, when you think about the moments from this movie, is there like one scene in particular where you're like, well, you know what, that, that looked like a good time. Or like, man, those teenagers were being just teenagers that look all just seem uh, like very bland and dreadful. Yeah. I mean, I like the little sister, you know, she's, yeah. she's, she's funny as hell, mm-hmm. but she's even less of a presence this time than she is in the first one. Yeah. Um, <sighs> the big sister's in it for one scene. That's right. Yeah. Um, give, give yeah. I, I mean, I guess I like the black pink drop when she's yeah. going to going to sh- show support for her man's. Like, I guess that was cool. Let's kill this love. But yeah, yeah. Um, it, it was I just a, a lot blander than I expected. You know, just just ultimately kind of tropey and and just, just kind of lame. You know, very lame. Like like I. I I just watched Set It Up again recently. Like, Set It Up is so fucking good. Crazy Rich Asians is so good. Mm-hmm. And, like, we kind of have a new standard. And this is just, this is really just double down into let's just do the teen bullshit, you know? Mm-hmm. So, whatever. Not for me. Not, not for you, Dave. Uh, definitely not for me. Um, but if you enjoyed it, let us know why. Uh, and also let us know if you like Sonic the Hedgehog. Um, mm. Sonic. I mean, we we talked about it briefly um, as there was a bit of a, a news story about the public backlash to the animation design for Sonic looking yep. a little bit too realistic. Mm-hmm. People wanted a more traditional to the, the video game Sonic. Yeah. Just didn't really and look like Sonic as much as people yeah. wanted it to. The, the legs got me in particular. I don't know something about the legs. Um, so they, they were like, you know what? You're right. We're going to fix it. We'll give the people what they want. Sonic dropped this past Friday, Dave. Did they fix it? Did they give the people what they wanted? <laughs> well, it's funny. I actually think the end, I had no problems with the animation. I, I did, <laughs> nothing, nothing looked like super like egregious. Like, oh, that's, that's unfinished. Look, there's Henry oh. Cavill's upper lip in Justice League. There's nothing like that going right. on. I think it looked fine. Um, yeah, I think this was supposed to come out, was it November or October last year before the delay for the effects? I forget. Something like that. Yeah, so then they release it on Valentine's Day weekend, and lo and behold, it sets the record for video game adaptations and wins the weekend, uh, outgrossing Detective Pikachu in the process. Um, my my it, theater was packed at like 11.30 on a Sunday. Right. Absolutely packed. And that that's kind of surprising to me just because Sonic compared to Pokemon just as IPs, like... I think just nostalgia for Sonic is much more uh, segmented to uh, I think older people, really millennials, right? Because the, mm. the heyday of Sonic was on like the Sega Sega Genesis, and Sonic in general is not like a game franchise that has any like classic entries. To be honest, it's just like nostalgia that fuels Sonic interest, and I guess his presence in like Smash Brothers more recently. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of interesting to see Sonic of all things be the one to something like pokemon which also was i think pretty well received by people that saw it um and then you know having now seen sonic the hedgehog uh it's it's a kids movie and i guess now i'm not like a big sonic fan i like pokemon way more not really sonic person so i didn't really care um 
whereas Detective Pikachu, I guess, almost let me down more because I feel like Pokemon can do more for adults than say Sonic can. Yeah, this is a uh, this is just kind of a kids movie. It's really inoffensive, but also just kind of kind of uninteresting at times. I actually found myself uh, uh, a little bored in the beginning. Mm-hmm. I guess yeah. the, the, middle, the end of Act One through Act Two, I felt pretty dull. It it's certainly a kids movie, and I, I think going into it, I was a little bit I. I I hadn't really thought about what is this going to be like? I think I expected it to be something that could engage adults and kids more on different levels. But like you said, this is pretty much made directly for kids. I mean, how like there's references to flossing just like constantly in this and like weird dancing. Talk about something that'll date the shit out of this movie. (laughs) Right, exactly. And it's, it's just, it, it's made for a specific demographic. There was maybe three or four jokes that worked on multiple levels. And I think a couple that were only for adults, like at one point, uh, the, the sister-in-law who it's never explained really why she doesn't like yeah. uh, James Morrison, but just dislikes him and wants her yep. sister to get a divorce. Natasha Rothwell. Which I actually, I actually thought was pretty fucking funny that she's just like, just divorce this dude. They never explain it. Like D I V O R C E. So good. But, um, Man, like at one point she says something like, are these the emails? And like <laughs> no one except for the adults in my theater laughed at that. Um, and, and like I, I giggled. I was like, okay, that's fine. But like <laughs> that, that's the kind of stuff they were doing for adults in this movie. Uh, I thought the action was pretty good. I thought Jim Carrey as Robotnik was actually pretty, pretty decent except for the, the weird dance routine that just happens like yeah. at the beginning of the third act. Like, very random and like, yeah. took me out of it. Um, but overall, I was like, yeah, this, this works for kids. It's, it's fun. It's sweet. It's inoffensive. Like you said, it's just not something I think I'm going to find myself watching ever again. Oh, no, no, no doubt about that. Uh, yeah. It, it looks like Jim Carrey had a fun time hamming yeah. it up and going way over the top and Robotnik Eggman. He, he's a over the top villain. So whatever. Cool. Um, and yeah, all the stuff like his drones, the the, the effects, the action, it, it looked pretty good. Mm-hmm. Good enough. Um, yeah, I'm actually more interested just about the conversation around the movie moving forward because hardcore fans showed backlash to the animation design, thus actually prompting uh, who put this out? Was it Sony? Universal? I forget. I uh, to, yeah, to, to make this change. And the movie was successful. Now, frankly, I don't know how much you can attribute uh, to that, to, to, to the change. I think there was just interest and Birds of Prey under showed up. This is also not R-rated. This is for kids. There was really nothing in the marketplace for the kids on a holiday weekend. So I think really they just kind of struck gold here with the calendar. And like parents are like, yeah, sure. We're off on Monday. Let's go take the kids. Like, I think that's really how this played out. But now we're going to be in the conversation of you should listen to the gamers more or you should just listen to listen to the fans, do it for the fans. And uh, we have a lot of evidence that that is a bad idea to, 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 to curate your art for a specific type of person that's going to consume it regardless. So I'm, I'm interested to see how that plays out. But in the meantime, yeah, this is going to this is going to require uh, get a sequel. It did pretty well overseas as well. So um, good for them. You know, the the, the mid credit scene, you see tails show up. Yeah, um, that's really good for the hardcore fans. I'm sure Knuckles and Shadow are not far away, so 
Knuckles. I'm happy for the Sonic fans. Yeah, I'm uh I'm also happy for Ben Schwartz, who is a, a guy mm. who I think is is really funny and hasn't really sure. gotten that like that breakout role and he does done some voice work, but this feels like the first one one where he's right. really the star. So good yeah, for him. He won the Lego movies. But oh, he, who wasn't in those? I mean, yeah, and he wasn't Chris Pratt, so he wasn't the lead. Right. Um, um Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with that. Shout out Ben Schwartz. I, I think he was pretty good. Um yeah, Sonic. It it uh it was what it was. <laughs> That's <laughs> Leave right. Leave it at that. Uh, Dave, talk about a movie that I think is a lot better. Um, Portrait of a Lady on Fire. I haven't seen it, so tell me. Is it better? Yeah, that's right. So Portrait of a Lady on Fire just came out here in the States. Uh, it was only in 22 theaters this Valentine's Day weekend. Made about 514000 over the four-day. Um, this is put out by Neon, who, of course, just had a triumphant run with Parasite, wasting no time. Uh, starting. Start, exactly, starting a no, new limited release. Uh, yeah, Portrait of Lady on Fire, I think, started getting buzz when it premiered at Con last year, won the uh, screenplay, Best Screenplay Award at Con, and then it uh, premiered in France, its native country, in September, and had a very small limited release in December in, like, L.A. So really, this is the first time anyone's getting a chance to see it, but as you can imagine by that theater count, this is still very, very limited, so... It's going to start rolling out, so I'm not going to spoil anything because, again, Pat also hasn't seen it. Um, and, yeah, so Portrait of Lay on Fire, it's a French film that was shortlisted for the Best Foreign Language Film uh, or Best International Film Oscar for, for France, but the French Film Board notably did not select it. They actually selected the Les Miserables movie we recently reviewed, and that actually got a lot of uh, attention here in the States from the critics that had seen it because it's uh, pretty universally accepted that Portrait of Lady on Fire is a much stronger film. So it's just kind of interesting to see the, uh, the French reception to it where they actually pick something else. Um, so as a result, Portrait, you know, Oscars are done. It, it already got a Passover for that. Um, yeah, it's directed by uh, Celine Siama. It's her fourth film. And it uh, takes place in like late 1700s France and like the the Brittany region, so like the, the western western coast of France. And it stars Naomi Merlant as this painter, young female painter, who is hired by this, I guess, like landed uh, woman, this like widow, to come to her estate and paint the portrait of her young daughter, played by Adele Hanel. And the reason they want this portrait is because Adele Hanel's character, uh, uh, Heloise is going to be wed to this uh, no- Italian nobleman and mm-hmm. the nobleman wants the portrait first and you find out that the reason uh, uh, Merlin has been hi- Marianne is her name the reason Marianne has been hired to paint this portrait is because the last time they hired a, uh, a painter he like quit because Heloise does not want to pose for this portrait because She's never met this man and does not want to marry this man. Mm-hmm. You find out very early on that it was initially going to be her sister who was going to marry this dude, and her sister perhaps killed herself in in, in lieu of in lieu of this. So no one's very happy uh, in that family, but the mom is like, "Nah, you're fucking marrying this dude, so get on with it, right?" Um, and this is honestly a really. Uh, really minimalist movie there's not a whole lot of plot going on it's a lot of just close-ups and conversations and it's about a romance 
and it's honestly one of the most intimate romances I've ever seen on screen. Like it's, it's truly remarkable in that regard. And just watching uh, these two women get to know each other. And uh, I think this is all, this is all early stuff. So uh, Marianne uh, is not, does not tell Eloise that she's going to paint her portrait. She's like doing it in secret off memory. She's just apparently a companion uh, that's like going to go walk around with her and hang out with her and stuff. And she's like trying to sneak in these like sketches and stuff to get this in. Anyway, as they get to get to know each other, the romance develops and as you, you know, th- things happen, but the movie also kind of mixes in, you know, as you can expect, this is late 1700s Europe, uh, gay relationships of any kind, not accepted, right? Uh, this is already someone who's being wed against her will. So you know that this is not going to end well because the movie is actually framed as a flashback where, Marianne is teaching women to paint and she's looking back on this. You already know they don't end up together from the fr- like second minute in the movie. But I think it was a really smart choice because then you can not just like, get lost in you know, the, the few weeks they, they have together. And yeah, it's just, uh, I think, a really intimate movie and there's some really, uh, I think, really stark moments. You look in the trailer, there's this like chanting uh chorus of sorts in the trailer that's a really important moment overall when music does show up it has a really important impact um there's a really smart use of uh, orpheus the greek myth in this um yeah i, mean, I don't really want to say much else is because it's uh i don't want to spoil spoil anything else but it's uh it's a really special movie and i'd recommend people see it as this and continues to expand just because uh you don't see a lot of stuff like this and like like i said Celine Sciamma, she also wrote this it's really precise in how it's trying to tell this romance. Like I said, there's not a lot of plot. It's uh, really only in like one location, two locations, um, a lot of natural light for the exterior stuff. So it's, it's just really intimate. It's about those conversations and about this connection and how memory takes hold as people move apart. And it's, it's really special movie. So I would highly recommend this. Man, it's too bad. It uh, didn't get nominated. Like it would have been interesting to see that in Paris, like go up against yeah. each other. Obviously, probably would have lost, but um, still worth the nomination. It's also interesting because I feel like the trailer of this just did not grab me at all. Like I was not that's interested a, at all. It's a common reframe from critics who had seen it a while ago. They're like, "That's a bad trailer. Do not. You don't even have to watch it if you don't want to." Yeah. Um, and yeah, I would agree. The, the trailer does it. I guess it's kind of hard to cut a trailer from this. Thinking back on it, just because there's not a lot to communicate in the trailer without giving shit away. So yeah, it's a, yeah, not a great trailer. So no, keep that in mind, but go see the movie. Um, Please. And we're going to be talking about more movies. People are going to want to see, because we're going to do our early 2021 Oscar predictions that are probably going to be right. A hundred percent. We did pretty Um, good last year for where we did our, what, 10, 10 month in advance predictions, was it? Something like that, yeah. Yeah, we did pretty good. Um, the Academy Awards, I think, will be happening like almost like literally a year from now. Uh, maybe. Yeah, they moved it back again to mid February, right? Yeah, so pretty close to when we're doing this. So, really giving you a year to start placing your bets. And, uh, Dave, why don't we start with the, the movie that, that's your background? The trailer just dropped for it. Wes Anderson's newest film, The French Dispatch. Uh, 
starring so many people that Saoirse Ronan is like billed like 11 to 12 on this. Pretty, <laughs> Sounds like a Wes Anderson movie. Yeah, pretty ridiculous. The cast, you know, you got Bill Murray. It seems like it's going to be anchoring this. Timothy Chalamet um, uh, going to be playing another major role. Jeffrey Wright. Elizabeth Looks Moss. Like, yeah, all the usual suspects from West, as long as some yeah new people like Elizabeth Moss. So uh, just look it up or watch the trailer. It's a, it's it's stacked as you expect. Yeah, I think that's actually a natural place to start is with someone like Wes Anderson, just because when we did it last year, there were some obvious places to you know put put your chips in on, right? Because because there's certain filmmakers that when they release a movie, it's eventized by that filmmaker's fans film community in general so there's eyes on that movie just kind of regardless I think last year with Tarantino for one time in Hollywood and the Irishman with Scorsese we just kind of knew those movies were gonna be in the conversation assuming they weren't total disasters and that's exactly what happened so this year I think what the French Dispatch is certainly that movie it's interesting to think though um Wes does not have a like amazing track record at the Oscars. Like his movies get some attention more of late. Like Grand Budapest Hotel did pretty well with nominations, Best Picture nom in particular. I Love Dogs though, which was released you know early in the year in March, I believe it was less so. Mm. Um, this one's French Dispatch is coming out in July, a little early for the traditional Oscar slate, but because it's Wes, I think it's okay again, like Tarantino. So I would not be surprised if this uh, you know is one of your eight or nine best picture films, just given, given the pedigree and the assumption of quality. Yeah. And the thing is, there's a lot of really strong directors this year. So uh, we're going to be naming a lot that probably will not be making it, but I would, I would guess this one probably has a pretty good shot. You know, I think you mentioned that it's going to be based off of the story of the New Yorker and kind of pulling that together. And uh, if this is the journalism film, for the, for the year, you know, sure. whatever, however tongue in cheek it is. Um, I could definitely see this getting a nomination. Um, what else, what else do you got on your short list? I have a couple, but I want to get, yeah, well, so along those lines there, again, the filmmakers that just are going to be checked in on regardless, naturally, Christopher Nolan is releasing tenant literally the same month as West. That's going to yeah. be fun. Awesome. Uh, last time Nolan dropped a movie also in July, it was Dunkirk a best picture nominee won some awards. So, you know, Nolan, I think apart from Batman, he's had a really good run. Like interstellar did pretty decently as well. So mm-hmm. yeah, assuming tenant is good as we, we hope and expect it to be Uh tenant will certainly be in the mix. Maybe not best picture. Who's to say, but yeah, no, no, Nolan is another one who people just will be watching his movies. They will be talking about his movies. Academy voters will have seen this film. So it's just, it's something that will be in the conversation early, like the French Dispatch. So just something to to consider just because of the Nolan of it all. Yeah, and I think we also can just kind of throw out there Dune, um, which is a movie yeah. we mentioned, but another stack cast, Denis, uh, Denis Villeneuve, um, teaming up with Timothy Chalamet, and... Uh, uh, it's going to be talked about. It's dropping, yeah. I think, on Christmas. Yes, of next so year's it's right. It's it's in that like nineteen seventeen slot yep. this time, but it's even bigger because they're going to release that wide from the jump. So yeah, Dune Dune is another like the, you know, maybe it goes Blade Runner twenty forty nine like his last last go around where it actually gets kind of underlooked. Uh, but I expect this to be a much bigger success than that. And yeah, it's it's Denny who's had a good run recently with stuff like Arrival at the Oscars. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, um, yeah. I think th- those are kind of the three, the three big ones where you combine the movie and the 
and the filmmaker. And it just makes a lot of sense that it'll at least be in the mix. Mm-hmm. Um, something that I think is a little less certain is like No Time to Die. That's Kerry Fukunawa. So I really liked and respected. Ultimately, though, it's a franchise film. It's a James Bond movie. Um, Skyfall was really great. I don't even know if it got anything beyond original song. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I wouldn't bet money on that. But people were checking out for it. I think anything interest in general is pretty high for that one. Yeah, how did you feel about the the Billy song? I love that. I, I I loved it honestly. Check it out. It's on the playlist. Best of Nostalgia 2019 or 2020. Jeez. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm interested. I want to throw out a couple of Netflix movies here. Yep. That I I'm got wondering some big ones. So no Irishman got, this year, but still some big ones. I'm gonna kind of just throw them out there. Mank, which is a yeah. uh, David Fincher film. It's it's gonna be looking at one of the the writers of Citizen Kane, um, yeah. and kind of detailing how that movie was made and yeah. Orson Welles's process through that. Yeah, like the fight over like screenwriting credit. Very very uh, interesting, famous. Hollywood story. Yeah. So that, that just feels like it's right up, you know, it's, it's a movie about movies. It's David Fincher, whose status has only been growing and growing. Gary Oldman. Um, Yeah. I mean, come on. It it feels like it's made for an Oscar nom. You have the five bloods, you know, uh, you Mm -hmm. finally have Spike Lee getting uh, the monkey off his back Oscar wise and dropping this uh, Vietnam war movie, which apparently has uh, undertones to political themes of today. Um, uh, and you know a couple of well-known people in that you have Chadwick Boseman, Paul Walter Hauser, Giancarlo Esposito, a couple of big names attached. Jonathan so, Majors. There you go. Hell yeah. <laughs> um, so it, you know the the cast is there, but then the one that is getting a lot of buzz, and this only one time has there ever been a remake that wins Best Picture, but West Side Story, yep, directed by Steven Spielberg, feels like it's positioned to just be an Oscar darling and another Christmas release and potentially being that movie that uh, finally brings Netflix home. It's it's Oscar win for best picture. Uh, I think, I think that's going to rest a lot on Ansel's performance to be completely honest. Um, you know, I think we've been a little bit skeptical about uh, if, if he's the right person to lead that. I think if he kills it uh, and he's just fantastic We'll, we'll be talking about it in the race. I think if if not, right. I could easily see this falling to the side. Yeah, that's actually not a Netflix movie. Just to be clear, that's that's a a Fox Legacy film, one of their last movies. Oh. I thought yeah. that was dropping on Netflix. Not, Netflix. no, no, but that that's Fox oh. and you know a- a- Amblin produced Spielberg. Gotcha. So yeah, yeah, that, that's another interesting one, just because it's in that hammer slot right around mm-hmm. Christmas. It's hard to envision a scenario where that movie doesn't make a shit ton of money, you know, yeah. just given what it is, when it's coming out, stuff like that. Um, you know, kind of interesting, similar thought. In the Heights, the film adaptation of Lin-Manuel's mm. first hit musical, uh, that comes out in, I believe, June, starring Anthony Ramos, who got famous, of course, from Hamilton. You know, Lin, Lin is, uh, I think, just universally beloved right now in Hollywood. And you know, he, he didn't direct this or anything, but, you know, he... he, he Obviously, it's the genesis for it. So I think In the Heights, maybe maybe if that's good, and this is a uh, a pure movie adaptation of the play, not the uh, uh, filmed versions of theater work, the way the Hamilton stuff mm-hmm. that's coming next year is. So, uh, you know, musicals have, have had some good success recently, and Lynn is so famous and well-liked that that wouldn't shock me either. But again, coming out a little early, so you never know. 
Mm-hmm. A couple other ones. Um, want want to see where you're at with it. Aaron Sorkin is making the uh, the Chicago the trial of the Chicago Seven. Yes, sir. Uh, pretty famous story. Uh, everybody loves Aaron Sorkin's writing. Um, this feels maybe not like everyone, but uh, it it, it gets I, I feel like stro- most people do. Yeah, it gets stronger a reaction either way, right? Everyone has an opinion on Sorkin writing. <laughs> sure, sure. I love it. Um, the, the, this feels like it, it could also be uh, an Oscar-y type movie. But the thing is, his last movie, Molly's Game, seemed like it could be too and right. kind of fell to the side. Did get a, uh, is it a Producers Guild a, a nomination? or uh, Yeah, uh, some, some, something down the line. Nomination. Yeah. Um, but that, that one's lined up. Also, News of the World. You know, it's Tom Hanks uh, as a Civil War veteran mm-hmm. kind of traveling across the South, um, Paul, teaming up with Paul Greengrass. Feels like it could be up there. I mean, last time was that they were together was Captain Phillips. So right. potentially in the mix. And that's also coming out is, in December. So yep. coming out at the right time. What else feels like it's 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 close or, or in that mix for you, though? Yeah, I think I think we've kind of hit a lot of the obvious ones, right? Like, Mank, there are, the world. Yeah. Like, um, I mean, I, I got some other ones I'm thinking about. Trial of the Chicago Seven. I think you're right; it's a really solid bet, just because it's Sorkin's second time the director chair. He's already gotten love for his mm-hmm. screenplays, so that's a good one. Um, you know, then there's, I think you can start looking at movies that are unlikely to be Best Picture contenders, but can certainly get attention for other stuff such as like King Richard. That's the Will Smith movie where he's playing uh, Richard Williams, the father, the notorious father of Venus and Serena Williams. Uh, you know, big Willie. He's I think done kind of had is- interesting uh, run of films lately in terms of successful ones and not successful ones, but it's riding high right now after bad boys three. So maybe interesting to see if will, if, if will truly does bring it, you know, him getting really back to, being the great actor that he is. And that's coming out in November, I think right around Thanksgiving. So you could see that kind of picking up steam and well being in that best actor uh, yep. race. For Definitely. Sure. A dark horse, something I just want to throw out there. Um, see, because he's also beloved by the Academy, obviously. Taika Waititi has a movie coming out this year called Next Goal Wins. Oh, he does? Uh, Ooh, I yeah. didn't have that one. Uh, it, it it's supposed to drop this year, um, but there's not much confirmed around it. So this could be something that's pushed back a little bit further. Um, however, um, just looking at the cast, you know, it's it's Fassbender leading it. You have Elizabeth Moss in it as well. Um, it's focusing. Oh, Army Hammer's also in it. So the, there's there's some star power behind it. They're looking at um, it's a comedy, which I think is going to make it hard to get into the race. But it's looking at American Samoa and how soccer um, kind of came about with that and, and like the role that it played. I think it's for a specific, it's a specific team or something along those lines. But Taika is so beloved right now. I feel like anything he puts out, as long, especially if it's like touching on culture and it has that sweet meaning behind it, he's got to have his name thrown out there. So sure. Taika's yeah. one. And then there's two projects that we don't even know if it's going to happen this year. Probably 2021, but I feel like we'd be remiss if we didn't mention it. PTA and David O. Russell, both are kind of gearing up for their next movies. And if they drop this year, I think they're certainly in the mix. Right. Yeah, I think the David O. Russell one 
very unlikely. Like you, mm-hmm. stuff like I know Mank, as far as we know, isn't actually done being filmed yet, but was like halfway done around New Year. So it needs to be like being filmed to to mm-hmm. come out because you know like not everyone works like Clint Eastwood. A lot of filmmakers <laughs> are going to take more time to put this shit out, you know, yeah. and then whoever they're 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 distributing with will be like, all right, cool, we can wait till Sundance next year we can you know just kick it off right Mm -hmm. so like if you're not ready for one of these upcoming festivals this year whether you want to be early for con or you want to be late with the fall shit like if if you have prestige aspirations you're just gonna roll it over right Um, and there's a lot of other films with with big name people that are in that in that in that same kind of boat where it's kind of hard to have a lot of faith in it coming out this year which again not a problem take all the time you want please Mm -hmm. um i think something that will be coming out this year from Netflix and Plan B is Andrew Dominic's movie Blonde. Andrew Dominic, of course, famous for assassination of Jesse James, and also just kind of famous for not working that all that often. He was on, he did Mindhunter season two a little bit, but Hell yeah. this is uh, Ana de Armas playing Marilyn Monroe. Adrian Brody's in this. Bobby Cannavale is playing Joe DiMaggio, which is like I think the most perfect casting that's ever existed, frankly. Um, and yeah, this is this is gonna be a Netflix film, and probably gonna be one of their, their their fall bangers. So that sounds very intriguing. You know, Plan B, Brad Pitt's company, they very rarely put their uh, their nose in the ring with stuff that's not that great. So even though this is a biopic, a Marilyn Monroe biopic, at that, um, it's a pretty pretty tantalizing prospect, if you ask me. Dave, do you think a Ron Howard movie could potentially be nominated? Does he got the clout? Maybe it's happened before, right? So it was Hill, old, old stuff. <laughs> Hillbilly Elegy feels yeah. like it could be perfect Oscar bait. Um, you got uh, Amy Adams, Glenn Close. Uh, I think there's one other really notice, notable person. Oh, Haley Bennett, Gabriel, uh, Gabriel Basso. So basically, it's about this this uh, family in Kentucky. Um, and they move to Middletown, Middletown, Ohio, um, or how it's like related to their, their social problems mm-hmm. there. It's, it just seems like it's going to be that like family drama. You're going to have Glenn Close and Amy Adams giving their, their potential Oscar worthy performances. Uh, and uh, I don't know, just feels like it, it, it's definitely got a shot to be in there, but the more we're looking through it, you know, this year was interesting or this past year was interesting, 2019, we had such big movies, Star Wars, Avengers. The year felt like there was an event movie coming up, a Tarantino movie, mm-hmm. uh, just so much. And then this year, we're, we kind of had like the, oh, how are we going to fill this in? And certainly, there have been some bad movies. If you go on my letterbox, I think there's nothing above like a two and a half right now, or maybe a three, I think I gave the gentleman. So it's been a tough start. And that's not even talking about movies like Fantasy Island, which seems like it might possibly be one of the worst movies of the last 10 years the turning Um, another one that got like an f cinema score (laughs) just it's been tough so far but there's so many quality directors putting out interesting stories i feel like by the end of the year we're going to be talking about how uh, two or three of these films deserve to be nominated and got snubbed so sure uh very exciting any other movies you want to throw out there just to kind of get them out there yeah yeah I, i got you got a few a few others uh edgar wright has a movie coming out, The Last Night in Soho. We don't know much about this at all. It's coming out, I think, September, end of September. Uh, this is horror or horror-adjacent anyway. So 
in in that line probably tough to break through at the academy itself but edgar is just coming off his most successful awards run ever with baby driver of course which actually did win a few awards so it's edgar right people are going to be checking for it regardless so you got to keep an eye out for that um Another movie that we, we don't know if it's actually coming out this year, as we've said before, would be Macbeth. This is Joel Cohen's A24 film. Denzel. Denzel and Francis McDormand playing uh, Macbeth and Lady Macbeth. So that's obviously uh, appointment viewing whenever that does finally come out. Um, another movie that I think is definitely not coming out this year, it's called Come On, Come On with Joaquin Phoenix. It's A24 as well. That's Mike Mills. He did a... 20 Century Women last time, most recently. Um, I don't think that's started filming yet, though, so that's probably a no. Um, and then some other stuff that has started to premiere at Sundance that we know is well-liked. It's going to roll out to us normal people later in the year. Uh, there's Zola from A24. There's Minari from A24. That's with Stephen Yun, who was incredible in Burning and apparently is really good once again here. We have After Yang, which is uh, Koganada's New film. I loved Columbus in 2017. This one has uh, he's re, re, uh, reteaming up with Haley Lou Richardson again, and also we have Colin Farrell in this and uh, Joni Turner Smith, who was really good in Queen and Slim. So that movie sounds really exciting to me. It's a uh, sci-fi and A24, so it's, it's unlikely to break through, but it could be like this year's high life in terms mm. of everyone who saw it really likes it, but it's probably too out there to be an Oscar movie. So. Um, there, one one that I forgot to mention that I think has another it has, it has the the credentials is the father. Uh, yeah. um, it's Anthony Hopkins. You have Olivia Coleman. It's going to basically be those two as Anthony Hopkins plays an aging person and is uh, moving in with La Pierre La La Pierre. Um, I think that one's got got the goods. Uh, um, what else do you got? Anything else? Yeah, so actually coming out really soon, March 6th, we have First Cow from Kelly Reichert. That's also A24. Uh, everyone's been really talking this up as a really great movie that started doing festivals last year. So just excited to see that. Um, I'm also looking forward to The Truth from Koreeda. This is his first movie that's not in Japanese, but of course he really shoplifters back in 2018, which is absolutely incredible and was nominated for Best International Film. This one's now it's in French. So it's still not an English movie, but that's certainly going to be probably a contender for Best International Film. Uh, people also really like The Climb, which is going to be coming out soon. Um, Corey Finley, he released his debut film back in 2017, Thoroughbreds, a movie I really enjoyed. Uh, he has this new movie coming out called Bad Education with HBO, and this has uh, Hugh Jackman and Allison Janney in it. So I'm at least very excited just hmm. to see what his next, his next film is. Um, Armando Iannucci, has a new movie coming out uh, in May too. The personal history of David Copperfield with Dev Patel. Uh, last time he did a movie was Death of Stalin two years ago, which I really enjoyed. So, looking forward to that. Um, and then you know, I, you can think of, you can think of stuff that's just maybe like, you know, down ballot awards. Like, there's this movie called Bios coming out in the fall. It's a sci-fi movie with Tom Hanks and directed by Miguel Sapochnik. Um, hmm. That sounds interesting. Yeah. Um, Coming to America, the sequel is coming out at the end of the year with Eddie. Two coming up. to America. Exactly. Uh, in terms of uh, technical awards and effects and stuff, you got to figure Top Gun Maverick is going to be fucking uh, uh, insane. So we'll mm -hmm. see what that looks like. I, I guess uh, Marvel might have another chance at finally winning Best Visual Effects with the Eternals 
considering that's going to be a cosmic in space movie, a lot of effects at least. <laughs> so we'll see. Dave, I want to put you on the spot real quick. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to ask you to name all of them. Give me four or five that you think are definitely going to be there at, uh, for the 2021 Oscars. In general or best picture? Best picture. French Dispatch, definitely. Well, as definitely as I can say. Uh, News of the World, West Side Story. Those feel safe. Tenet, I. Mm-hmm. It's really hard to say until we see Tenet. If Tenet's really good, probably. Tough to say. Um, I think King Richard. I think Will Smith has a has a really uh, has his inside track right now in terms of best actor. But really hard to say. And then if Mank comes out, I think Mank will be there because it's fucking Fincher and he hasn't done a movie in a while. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Other than that, uh, it's hard. It's hard to pick stuff. I would agree. I think Mank and West Side Story and um french dispatch seem really safe i would also put dune in there i get i get the sense denny's gonna fucking nail this and then i think the trial of the chicago seven just seems up there but i agree i think um i think what you said about the news of the world also feels like it's got a really good shot just the perfect perfect uh premise to it for an oscar movie for sure uh we're, we're i think that'll be like the green book uh one where it doesn't say as much as people think it does, you know, but right. people yeah. feel good about themselves for liking it. So sure. uh, be interesting. Um, any last thoughts on the 2021 Oscars uh, year out? So definitely remember everything we say here is going to be correct. Yep. Year out. Um, I believe to it. it. looks like it's going to be a big year for Ana de Armas. She also has this movie coming out called Deep Water with Ben Affleck. So that makes three high-profile movies for her between that, Blonde, and of course, No Time to Die. So she's really positioned perfectly to truly break out following the, I guess, mainstream breakout in Knives Out. So I'm really excited for her for that, uh, just to see what we get from her. Um, Apple's going to release their first like uh, attempt at a prestige film with The Banker that's coming out in March. So... Decent cast. See, see if that uh, makes any noise. It's been kind of controversial recently. Um, and actually, funny, we have Chloe Zhao, who's directing Eternals for Marvel in, in November, uh, also has another movie that she made before Eternals coming out this year called Nomadland with Frances McDormand. So hmm. that that's interesting because people really liked The Rider, her first movie. So yeah, uh, there's a lot of lot of lot of intriguing stuff. Even if you know, like like you said, there, there, this is the year where you know, there might be some box office uh, worry, given that there's not a slew of money in the bank Disney they remakes, like movies, right? You know, so uh, in the meantime, I think uh, people that are more film heads, or at least people that have a Regal Unlimited or AMCA list that are going to go a lot, uh, there's there's plenty of stuff to see. And well, hey, heck, uh, A24 is releasing a summer movie called Green Knight from David Lowry with Dev Patel and Alicia Vikander. That sounds fantastic, you know. There's there's stuff for everyone this year, like every year. So, can't wait. Yeah, very excited for it, and I'm also excited to get through the the dredges of the early uh, yeah. early year movie. March is going to uh, pick up. We'll be fine. More, if I had to watch another Sonic or I'll tell the boys love before, oof, no, it'd be rough. Um, but we're gonna wrap up there. So, Dave, what should the people be doing for next week? Watching, listening, both. Uh, yeah, we got Call of the Wild coming out, another Fox uh, 
zombie movie coming with Harrison oh, Ford. Uh, don't know if that's going to be any good, but that's coming. <laughs> um, the CGI for the dog looks a little suspect. Um, <laughs> also, the last thing he wanted, notably we did not just mention, that's D. Reese's movie on Netflix this Friday. Um, we thought that would be really great after they saved it for Sundance. This is our follow-up to Mudbound. And apparently it stinks. But I'm going to still go watch it because now I'm just very curious. Um, the Star Wars, The Clone Wars uh, final season kicks off on Friday. I'll be checking in on that. So stay tuned for that. And Better Call Saul season five premieres as well. Obviously, that's appointment viewing for everyone knows why. And actually, this is a huge movie week. Um, some big high profile stuff. Grimes, BTS, Moses Sumney. Uh, big music week. King Cruel, Hip Hop Heads, you got Kamaya, you got Duke Deuce, you got NBA Youngboy. That's a lot of stuff to check in on. So yeah, big week. We'll be talking about some of that stuff. Also, Hunters is coming out on Prime, the Al Pacino Nazi killing show. I don't know if you had an interest in that. It didn't look too good to me, but uh, that's there too. I, I, I might give it a watch since I'm probably not going to watch Clone Wars. Something to, to fill the void, so to speak while I'm waiting for Saul to premiere. Um, but in the meantime, follow us at NostalgiaPod on Twitter, SoundCloud.com slash NostalgiaPod, and YouTube.com slash NostalgiaPod. And also follow Dave at Martin Swagger and myself at Shane World Peace on Twitter. Engage with us. We appreciate you. We love you. We'll see you next week. Yeah.